Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. Hello, podcast friends. So before I begin, as always, here is a promo from a podcast that I enjoy a lot. So this is Trace Evidence. Hey, podcast listener, this is Stephen, the host of Trace Evidence, a weekly true crime podcast focused on unsolved murders and missing persons. Each week, I dig deep into the evidence, suspects, and theories revolving around the unsolved cases you think you know, Elisa Lamb, Asia Degree, Brandon Lawson, and the ones you've never heard, Lily Aramburo, Candace Hilt, Kanika Powell, If you're a true crime fan, haunted by unanswered questions, join me each Monday for a thorough examination of the victims, their stories, and the unknown perpetrators behind them. Trace Evidence is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and all your favorite podcatchers. Visit trace-evidence.com for a full list of episodes, transcripts, and to subscribe today. So I've been listening to this podcast for quite a while, but I'm still actually trying to catch up because I have so many podcasts, you know, in rotation. And I have to say, Stephen does a really, really good job with the details and with cases that you've never heard of. And if you're into true crime and mysteries and unsolved cases, trust me, this is the podcast for you. Now, let's start today's episode. Turkey meaning the land of the Turks, officially known as the Republic of Turkey, is a transcontinental country located mostly in West Asia. I know many people may think that Turkey is more European rather than Asia geographically, which is clearly debatable, but note there is a place called Anatolia, aka Asia Minor, as in the most western point of the Asian continent and it happens to make up most of Turkey. So there, technically, still Asia. Turkey's neighbors include the Black Sea to the north, the Mediterranean to the south, the Aegean Sea to the west, and countries like Georgia, Armenia, Iraq, Iran, and Syria to the east. The capital city of Turkey is Ankara, but the most populous and popular city is actually Istanbul. Turkey is rather rectangular in shape and is about 300,000 square miles, and its population as recent is around 82.5 million. About 80% of the population identify as Turkish, and the largest minority group, the Kurds, take up about 20% of the population. 
The official language is Turkish, but many others also speak Kurdish, Arabic, or Zaza. Turkey has no official religion, but the most commonly practiced religion would be Islam. Let's take a sort of quick look at the history of Turkey. The land we now know of as Turkey was one of the oldest permanently settled places in the world, and it can be dated back to as far as 40,000 years ago, and all the way to the Neolithic and Hellenistic period. People at the time spoke an Indo-European language, which makes sense considering Turkey's location on the map. During the early years, Turkey was fought over and inhabited by various civilizations, including the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Persians, the Thracians, the Armenians, and so on. Around the 6th century BCE, Turkey was under the control of the Persian Archaemenid Empire. But later, when Alexander the Great came around, he, of course, took it, and that began the Hellenization process, meaning the spreading of Greek culture and religion. After Alexander the Great was out of the picture, Turkey was divided into several Hellenistic kingdoms, taken over by the Roman Republic, and by the early 1st century CE, most Anatolian languages and culture became extinct due to Hellenization. Then comes Constantine the Great, a.k.a. the Roman Emperor who named Byzantium the new Roman Empire capital. After his death, the Roman Empire was then divided in two, and New Rome, a.k.a. Constantinople, became the capital city of the Eastern Roman Empire, also pretty much present-day Istanbul. The status remained for about 1,000 years until it fell to the hands of the Ottoman Empire around 1453. The Ottoman Empire continued to grow, expanding into three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, and it reached its peak around the 17th century. The Ottoman Empire began to decline around the 1750s, and although the empire worked hard to retain their power and control, such as the Constitutional Movement and the First Ottoman Parliament of 1876, it inevitably began to shrink in size and power because the people were no longer happy. An economic crisis hit them as well in 1875, somewhat causing the Russo-Turkish War, and the rise in nationalist sentiment increased those following years. During World War I, the Ottoman Empire sided with the Central Powers, as in Germany and France, and they lost. The Armenian Genocide happened during World War I, where Armenians from the Ottoman Empire were sent off to Syria and about one million of them were killed. The Ottoman Empire, of course, denied it was genocide and said they were only relocating them to Syria. That's what they all say. After World War I, in the year 1920, Turkey transitioned itself into a republican political country, abolishing the sultanate and ending 600-plus years of Ottoman rule. Ankara then took over as the nation's new capital city, and the historic city of Constantinople changed its name to Istanbul. The first president of the Republic of Turkey was Mustafa Kemal, and he was given an honorific surname of Atatürk, meaning Father Turk. Of course, nothing comes that easy. There were plenty of attempted military takeovers throughout the years and plenty other groups fighting for their rights, such as the Kurdistan Workers' Party, who are constantly fighting against Turkey because they want their independence. 
Turkey is a member of the UN, NATO, IMF, and so on. Turkey's tourism has grown so much over the last couple of decades and was even the sixth most popular destination in 2014. But due to terrorist attacks and such, numbers have gone down quite a bit. Some cool tourist destinations include, well, Istanbul for all its history and culture, the Hagia Sophia Cathedral, several Greek cities that were established during Hellenization period, and of course, Cappadocia, where you see all those hot air balloon pics and videos on Instagram and stuff. Yeah. Wow, if this doesn't give you wanderlust, I don't know what will. So, I feel like it's been ages since I last did a country episode, which isn't completely true because two episodes ago I did Cambodia. Maybe I'm just losing track of time. So, Turkey. Lovely place. Rich history, fun destinations. Since you're here because you're sort of into true crime, well, something unpleasant is going to happen. Although times are changing, not every country or every person changes at the same pace, and you can't really force people to think a certain way. While some countries are more than accepting of all religions and sexual orientations, some will disagree so hard they will kill and get away with it. In this episode, you will see that violence towards women in Turkey is still a major ongoing issue, and it has to change. I will tell you about violence committed against a young woman in Turkey, about how she resisted and tried to fight back, which eventually led to her death. This is the story of Uskajan Aslan, and I would like to thank my friend, Wendy, for helping me with pronunciation, because I don't know any Turkish. This episode does contain violence and graphic details, so please proceed with caution. Let me begin by telling you who Uzgijan was as a person. Unfortunately, this is not going to be very extensive because the information I could find about her is not very extensive. Uzgijan Aslan was born on October 22, 1995 in the city of Mersin, located in the south of Turkey along the Mediterranean coast. Her family was of Alevi Kurdish descent. Alevi meaning that they follow the teachings of the twelve imams, Muhammad's cousin and son-in-law Ali, and a descendant of a saint from the 13th century. Her family was not well off, but they had a great relationship and were happy. Uzgajan had an older sister who had talent in singing, and was actually studying opera and singing at school. The two were said to be very close, and they were both very, very beautiful. They also looked alike. As Uzgajan was growing up, she attended a tourism high school, but she realized that her real passion was in psychology, and that's what she wanted to study in university. Her parents were very supportive of her decision, and her mother even decided to go back to work just so she could help out with her daughter's tuition. Uzgajan had obtained a scholarship, so that really helped with their finances. You could just tell Uzgajan had passion for this, and this was her thing. She eventually began to study psychology in Kag University, located in the city about 20 kilometers away from where she was from. She was now a happy first-year university student on her way to her dream career. But 
This is a true crime podcast, so things eventually turn ugly. Days before the incident occurred, Uzgajan and her friends had discussed among themselves how they were very reluctant to take the minibuses in their area. These minibuses, which could also be considered large vans, are a common method of transportation in the area. So if this was a common mode of transportation, why were the girls not stoked about it? Apparently, they had started to feel uncomfortable when it came to the bus drivers and other passengers. The drivers would stare at them from the rearview mirror when they were on the bus, like checking them out. And when they would get off the bus, the drivers would stare at them again through the windows. Like, dude, have you never seen a woman before? Yes, they were young and attractive ladies, but stop making people feel uncomfortable. So gross and unnecessary. I get looking at people or glancing at them or maybe even doing a quick double take because hot damn. But blatantly staring at someone and making them uncomfortable is just really gross. So now we have arrived on the day where a horrible incident happened. All because someone lacked control of their emotional and physical self. The day was Wednesday, February 11th, 2015. Uskajan had been out and about with a friend of hers. They had been at school, out shopping, eating, and when it was time to return home, the two girls had no other choice but to take the dreaded minibus. Sorry, not putting any negativity on the minibus itself, but mostly the terrible experience that came along with the ride. The friend got off the minibus first, and she said goodbye to her friend and got off the bus. She would never imagine that this would be the last time she would see her friend ever again. So, nighttime came and Uzgajan was still not home. As she was always a responsible young lady, her parents knew that something had to be wrong, that Uzgajan would never disappear like this. They called the local police department and filed a missing persons report right away. But what exactly happened? After Uzgajan's friend got off the minibus, the minibus driver made a choice, or maybe he had already decided on doing this but finally found his chance. I honestly believe that Uzgajan wasn't the specific target, but it would have happened to any unfortunate woman who happened to be the only passenger left on that minibus. The driver went off the bus course and drove into some path into the woods as in somewhere secluded where no one would find them or hear them scream. He then attempted to rape Uskajan, who came more prepared than he would ever imagine. She not only tried fighting him off by screaming and scratching his face, she actually had a can of pepper spray with her, which she managed to use on him. Although women are taught to pepper spray the crap out of any creep who comes a bit too close to you, it didn't work this time. It enraged this creep so much that this woman dare try to fight back. The nerve some women have. God. So, he completely lost his cool and gave up his rape attempt, but instead ended up stabbing her multiple times and beating her to death with an iron pipe. Yeah, talk about self-control. After realizing what he had done, he semi-panicked and thought about what he should do to cover this up. As an impulsive amateur, he first made sure she was dead, 
And then he drove the minibus home with her body still in it. Then asked his dad and a friend for help. Yeah, he did that. The three men worked out a plan that started with cutting off Uskajan's hands so the asshole's DNA won't be found under her fingernails. Then they decided the best way would be to destroy the evidence, so they took her to a remote wooded area, dumped her body there, and set it on fire. People are disgusting. After the men had dumped and burned the body, the minibus driver had allegedly stopped at a gendarmerie checkpoint and asked for directions. In case you're like me and don't know what a gendarmerie is, it's basically a branch of police forces who maintain public order outside of normal jurisdiction areas, as in rural places. An officer gave the driver directions but noted that he went the other way instead. He grew suspicious and asked to check the minibus. He checked, found some blood, but the driver explained it away as a fight between the passengers. The officer did let him go, but this driver and his sketchy actions stayed on his mind. I'm not sure if the driver was the only person on the bus, or his dad and his friend, aka partners in crime, were also on it. It's clear that Uskajan must have already been disposed of, as a dead body on a bus would have been rather obvious. Back to Uskajan's family. A missing persons report had been filed and now her face was all over the news. The officers at the checkpoint saw the report and grew suspicious of the minibus they had stopped the other day. They looked for it and found it, along with the driver and his accomplices. They were then taken in for questioning, and they quickly confessed to their part of the crime. The murderer-slash-rapist then took the police to where he had dumped the body, in a creek near a village. She was found two days after she was murdered, on Friday, February 13th. Hmm, Friday the 13th. Although they tried to dispose of her cut-off hands, the police managed to recover them as well. Her body was then taken to the Tarsus State Hospital, but because she had been so badly burnt, it was impossible to tell who she was. She was identified by the clothes and items she had on her. After the post-mortem examination, it was determined that she wasn't raped, and DNA was indeed found under her fingernails. As horrible as her death was, I am so glad the asshole never got to rape her. And now he's caught because he's an idiot and a murderer. So, who was this idiot? His name is Ahmet Subi Altindokin, and he supposedly came from a wealthy family. Things went wrong at some point, and they went bankrupt. His mother and father were separated, and the reason? Because his father had been violent with his mother for years, and so she made a decision to leave. She took the children, Ahmet and his sister, with her, but the results weren't as she expected. Ahmet's sister was also subjected to her brother's violence and rage as they were growing up, but she stated that she, quote, didn't die because I developed a resistance to his beatings. It is a disgusting thing to get used to, being beaten up. We never hit him to defend ourselves, not even once. We knew what would have happened if we did, end quote. Such a revolting human being. At the time of the murder, Ahmet was 26 years old, working as a minibus driver, married, and shockingly, also abusive to his wife. He married his wife five years ago in 2010 and had been violent with her throughout the years, she attempted to file for divorce months before Uzgijan's murder, but Ahmet 
threatened to kill both her and their son if she did so. So, she stayed. I honestly don't blame her for this choice. I mean, how terrifying it would be to leave and risk both your life and your child's life. So the dude was arrested and he confessed to his doings. It was said that he appeared cool, calm, and collected. Who knows what kind of storm was brewing in his head, though. Probably trying to find ways to victim blame and put less responsibility on himself. A couple days after his arrest, he, of course, began changing his story, but thank God nobody believed him because it made no sense. Let's hear him out. First, he was like, I was drinking, so I acted on impulse. I wasn't trying to rape or kill her. Okay. Like, drinking isn't your own responsibility. And for Pete's sake, you were driving a minibus. Irresponsible to the max. Next, he said he was wrongly accused because he was only defending himself. He claimed that he tried to take a shortcut to the next bus stop, but when Uzgajan saw this, she attacked him physically. So he decided to stop the bus and have a talk with her. Okay. So you decided on your own to take another route, then fight a 19-year-old woman because she was physically attacking you. For someone who spent years hurting other women, sure, yeah, we believe you. Then he was like, oh no, wait, Uzgijan actually offered me like 100 Turkish liras to take the shortcut. So what does that have to do with you killing her? Her parents were like, that's not possible. Uzgijan doesn't have a job and she relies on allowance from her parents. And she was only given 20 Turkish liras that day. Bam, take that. So for him to get to the criminal court and begin his prosecution, he will need a defense lawyer. That's how it works. But guess what? No lawyer from the Bar Association of Mersin wanted to represent him. They thought the crime was too brutal and therefore he did not deserve any representation. Doesn't this make you feel kind of good? But the downside is that the trial was stalled and delayed and it was difficult to continue. The court announced on February 20th that they would be seeking the harshest sentence, which would also ban Ahmet from seeking parole ever. So the first hearing began on June 12th, and it was kind of a mess. Ahmet began making conflicting statements about his friend and his father's involvement in the murder and the cover-up. Because of this, the trial was then pushed back to September. Along comes September, and Ahmet elaborates on his new story. He said although he did not intend to rape Uzgijan, he clearly remembers his friend trying to rape her, and that he saw his friend zipping up his pants as he got off the minibus, the same minibus Uzgijan was in. His friend of course denied this claim. Ahmed's father said that he was unaware that his son had killed anyone at first, but only found out later as they were getting ready to dispose of her body. Well, either way, you knew. You were there, and you did nothing. I know he's your son, but come on. Their trial finally ended in December, and all three received life sentences without parole. Ahmet was convicted for murder with monstrous instinct and torture, murder with the motive of hiding a crime for evading capture, murder due to the frustration caused by the inability to commit another crime, as in rape, attempt at sexual assault, and deprivation of personal liberty with sexual motives. Good job, Turkey. Note, capital punishment has been abolished since 2004, and many people were hoping that this case would 
be enough to bring back the death penalty. Uzgijan's father made a statement regarding the case, stating that, quote, it may return to dissuade from committing crimes, but it is not a solution. People should learn to control themselves instead. Let's surrender to the good while there is still peace. Our only demand is that justice is served. End quote. People think, grieve, and cope in many different ways. Just because her father wasn't all upset that they didn't get the death sentence doesn't mean he loves his daughter any less. So, while the trial part ends here, the story, the impact, and the aftermath continues. Uzgajon's case has become a significant marker to the issue that women face in Turkey. There were several protests all over Turkey as soon as her murder happened in February, where thousands of people paraded the streets holding up signs and posters with Uzgajon's face on it. People were pissed and felt that shit has gone too far and it was time to make a change. Some protesters refused to let men join in, feeling that this was a female solidarity thing. But then again, there are responsible, respectful, and kind men out there who probably really do wish to see this world better. Of course, there were other asshole men who probably felt their masculinity was being threatened, and one guy yelled to a group of protesters that Uskajan deserved it. Sit down and shut up, sir. Protests included topics like lenient sentences for rapists and murderers, not protecting women's rights, and the idea that non-conservative women deserve to die. Remember, although Turkey is pretty much secular, it still leans towards the Islamic ways as it is the main religion. One of the biggest protests took place in K University, as in where Özgecan went to school. Around 15,000 people walked around wearing all black. Some had fake blood on them. Another group of protesters, both men and women, all wearing skirts in Istanbul, had signs that read, Take your hands off my body, and I was born free and will live as free. Doesn't this warm your heart when people come together like this? Even at Uzgajan's funeral, where thousands of people attended, Women completely ignored the imam's demands and the ceremony rules. Basically, women were not allowed in the front because, well, you're a woman. Apparently, they ignored the imam and took hold of the casket, carrying it themselves. Politically speaking, the government, of course, was criticized for not doing anything to prevent things like this from happening. It was never a priority for them because, in a sense, women were beneath men. The president himself had vowed to follow up on the case and referred to her murder as a quote-unquote nefarious massacre. Although he seemed to sympathize, he was heavily criticized for making inappropriate and sexist comments about how quote, women are entrusted to men by God, end quote, or men and women can never be equal, and other things like that. Not a good time for that. He's even said that every Turkish family should have at least three children. Okay, like, who died and made you the king of the womb? The opposing parties in the Turkish parliament, the Republican People's Party, appealed to the president saying, the one in the palace said that the politicians are responsible for the murders in their country. Now is the time for those that are responsible and guilty to rise. Apparently, there were laws that showed leniency towards men who killed their wives, 
saying that it was provoked. In other words, victim blaming. Things needed to change big time. I understand that many people may have a difficult time overcoming these issues due to religion. But then again, how far are you willing to go? A petition was started to prevent reducing the sentences for those violent towards women. This became known as the Uskajan Law, and every single political party vowed to pass this if they were elected. This law is still being debated over and should pass as soon as possible. Social media-wise, a series of posts with the hashtag Sendenlat, meaning you must also tell, became popular in Turkey. It's pretty much like the hashtag MeToo, where women were encouraged to speak out and share their stories. The hashtag was at one point the third most popular global hashtag on Twitter. I mean, the things women do sometimes to avoid harassment, it's interesting. They wear fake wedding rings, they carry knives, they get off the bus way before they reach their stop just so they don't end up the last passenger. Other related hashtags and posts appeared all over the internet, wearing black for Uzgajan, wearing skirts for Uzgajan, etc. But of course, we always have people who aren't so bright. A Turkish singer who was also in the TV show Survivor Turkey pretty much said mini skirts caused rape and if you were wearing one during a rape or assault, you cannot complain. Huh? Some load of bullshit. Obviously, he was kicked out of the show and lost a million contracts. Then he apologized. I'm pretty sure he only apologized because it hurt his career, not because he really felt that he was wrong. But that's just my opinion. It seems that violence towards women in Turkey is a major issue and one of the leading problems women face every single day. Of course, plenty of other countries, like in the Middle East, also have similar issues. A man who once killed two women, one being his wife, the other being his lover, served a combined sentence of 14 years and later appeared on a dating show bragging about it. A TV actor had beaten up his girlfriend once and later made fun of her black eyes, telling her that she looked like a panda. I have a headache from this comment. In other news, a 17-year-old girl was murdered by her brother when he found her using a mobile phone chatting with people and she didn't give him her passcode. A lot of men hold conservative thoughts when it comes to men and women, and women are often treated as second-class citizens or kind of like property. A man beating his wife should not be anyone else's business. It's a family matter. Men that beat their wives don't see themselves as the bad guy, or even remotely close to what Ahmet did to Ozgajan. In their opinion, they don't hit strangers, they don't rape strangers, they also don't kill strangers. But they do it to their own wives, and being their wife, it's okay in their book. This also goes back to the main issue where instead of teaching girls to cover up, be vigilant, don't talk to strange men, and so on, we should also be telling men and boys to respect women, don't make them uncomfortable, don't touch them, consent. If anything happens to a woman, instead of asking, what was she wearing, why wasn't she covering her head, why was she out so late? Ask, why was it okay to make somebody feel unsafe? Why was it okay to hurt someone? Why was it okay to rape someone? I know this is nothing new. Shit like this happens time and time again, and every time people are angered and saddened. 
People vow to be better, and politicians vow to change the laws. The thing is, it's much more than a law. It's a way of thinking. You shouldn't not do it only because you can get thrown in prison or because you might get arrested. You should know not to do it because it's just plain wrong. Before I end the episode, here is one more thing that happened afterwards. The following year, April of 2016, Ahmed and his father were both reportedly shot by an inmate. Ahmed died and his father survived. Most people sighed a sigh of relief when they found out that he had been killed. He was definitely not a good guy, and he possibly wasn't exactly popular in prison either. All the cemeteries nearby refused Ahmed to be buried in their cemeteries, and he was eventually taken to an undisclosed location for burial. Upon learning of this, Ahmed's sister, who grew up with his beatings, said that she was glad he was dead because her nephew wouldn't have to grow up with an abusive father. She also wished that her father would have died. Don't know if this sounds cold-hearted to you guys, but if she was not close to him and saw so much abuse from the men in her life, well, it would make sense somewhat. She also said that she feared that there was a genetic trait in their family that may have caused all this violence, so she herself has refrained from having any kids. That's just really sad. So, there you have it. The murder of a 19-year-old girl that was just out doing normal girl stuff. And because a man lacked discipline and had impulse issues, he killed her. Many women have suffered from abuse, whether emotional or physical. And to put it plainly, it's a terrible experience that really messes with your head. If anyone is in this situation right now, or you know of someone in this situation, man or woman, please know that it is important to recognize the problem and get help. It isn't easy, but I'm telling you, it'll be worth it. So stay safe and be kind. We sure do need more kindness in this world. I will end this episode with an excerpt from a song from Uzgajan's sister and her father. It's really quite beautiful. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.